Welcome to episode 2. As always, I'm your host Jacob, known online as Private Problems, and I'm here to bring you fun stuff from within the world of nerd. Now, sit back, relax, and let's full dive into this week's episode. Before we get into the weekly news and the actual podcast, I'd like to thank everybody who has helped me make this podcast become alive. I am grateful to all my friends in Discord, all my friends on Facebook, all my just all my friends and family. Can't forget the family. But thank you so much. We hit 30 uh, listens day one, and I can't wait to grow and spend this time with you uh, with my podcast. So with that, also, I'm looking at making a mug down the line, maybe when we hit a milestone at 500, maybe more than one mug too, and give it away to anybody who follows this podcast uh, podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I can't wait. It will look great. And yeah, so let's continue and let's go on to your weekly news. Let's kick it off with weekly nerd news. July 6th to July 14th. Here we go, Xbox. Gears of War 5 has a new update coming out today. Get ready to team up with Dom and try Brothers in Arms again. Nacon Gaming announced a partnership with Microsoft for official accessories, which will include Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Microsoft also had a huge couch co-op sale that ended on Monday, July 13th. I hope you're able to get that big-name ticket discounted game, such as Borderlands or any other couch co-op games you're interested in. Moving on to PlayStation. The Last of Us 2 was voted best game for June by readers of the PlayStation blog. I believe that's player's choice. PlayStation Now brings you Hello Neighbors, Watch Dogs 2, and Street Fighter 5. Also with PlayStation on July 17th, you will be getting a new game, Ghost of Tsushima. Both Xbox and PlayStation will be getting a new game September 8th called Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning, with a DLC already planned for Uh, 2021. Why not just release that with the game? Moving on to esports, we got uh, Call of Duty League, New York Sublimers won their home series against Chicago Huntsman and also other teams they versed. I'd like to thank Toronto Ultra for actually getting me interested into Call of Duty League. Let's hope they will win their next one. Come on, Ultra. BuzzFeed will also be hosting a Sims TV competition to debut July 17th. It is called The Sims Sparked. It has $100,000 in prize money. Speaking about money, we're talking about our content creators. Looks like the big name streamer who moved from Twitch to Mixer and now doesn't have anywhere to go is actually going to YouTube Gaming. That's right, with the end of Mixer, Ninja is now on YouTube. That ends the weekly nerd news. Let's move on to our first topic of today. Time to tabletop. So last week, I forgot to mention what D&D stood for. It could have stood for Department of National Defense or Dogs No Dogs, but it doesn't. So D&D that I was talking about stands for Dungeons and Dragons. So I'm going to rekindle that fire and just mention a couple things I might have mentioned already or I forgot to mention. So here we go. Dungeons and Dragons is a fantasy tabletop role-playing game known as an RPG. Originally designed by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson, it was first published in 1974 by Tactical Studios Rules, Inc., T. 
TSR. The game has been published since by Wizards of the Coast, a subsidiary of Hasbro, in 1997. That's when it first, that's when it started getting published. Uh, it was derived from miniature war games with a variation of the 1971 game Chainmail serving as the initial rule set. This would be your first edition. Speaking about editions, not additions, editions, I forgot to mention what they were last week. I mentioned 5e, but never really talked into it. So I'm going to do that. In 1974, when the game first came out, till 1989, these would be your, this would be your first edition, known as your first rule set, the, the characters that came out, the races that came out, the new spells, the old spells, everything in that edition, that would be known as 1E. Now, the game definitely changed from when it first came out to uh, 1989. They added uh, new basic sets, they added advanced D&D, a second basic set, a third set. So a lot of things changed because the game was brand new. In 1989, that's when you hit the second edition. Uh, from 1989 to uh, 2000, that's your time frame for 2E. They also released a rules cyclopedia. That helps a lot, especially in the development of the games, to have an actual encyclopedia of the rules. Anything from that time frame would be considered 2E, I've said it already. But it could be anything from more campaigns they could add. Uh, they could have added more races, more spells, remove spells, nerf some things. So the game's definitely growing, and that the first two eras is definitely where that would have happened. In 2000, when the world was supposed to end, the third edition came out. A couple of years later, uh, they made another edition kind of, it's 3.5, they just revamped stuff, added stuff, changed stuff, new campaigns, right? That's really all these additions are, is just changing some things to make it easier to play, to get pe more people hooked on the game. In 08, that's when the fourth edition came out, and in 2014, that's when the fifth edition came out. That's the one that majority of everybody now plays. A lot of people you'll see play either 3.5, uh, three or five. Nobody really plays fourth edition anymore. I don't really know why. Uh, I have friends who said it wasn't that good. I'm just going to take the word on it because I never played it. But yeah, fifth edition is where everybody plays. They have a lot of, a lot more books out. They have a lot of pre-made campaigns. With technology growing too, it makes fifth edition probably one of the best Editions out there. Using D&D Beyond definitely makes your your game a lot simpler to get people into playing it. I just recently, uh, on July eighth, I played D&D Online, not the web, not the D&D Online game, but I played it using Discord. So I know last week I said I I wasn't a big fan of Roll Twenty, but I also wanted to get back into D&D. So a couple friends and I went on Discord video game chat and we used D&D Beyond and it was so simple. They came up with a brand new app called the D&D Beyond Player Tool which makes your character sheet accessible on an app instead of a website. So it's a lot more 
phone friendly, tablet friendly, uh, new player friendly. So a couple times I have to say that if you're new and you want to get into D&D, definitely try that. If you want to get into Pathfinder, good luck finding stuff, but there is some paid Pathfinder um, sets that are really good to help you get into Pathfinder. I might be able to talk on that some down the line. I haven't played it for a while, so my opinions are not really there at the moment. So with with that rekindle of the D&D that I messed up last week, let's talk about let's move on and talk about our board game of the day. And I posted a little teaser on uh I believe it was Twitter. I blurred out the logo and it's probably really easy to know what it was because they I still had the company's name on it. But the game I'm going to talk about is uh Pandemic. It's a pretty good board game, especially uh now in in 2020 when there's a pandemic actually going on and you play it, it's kind of ironic. But that's when we actually started playing it was in, during this pandemic. So let me get get myself situated and let me tell you about uh, when the game first came out, who's it by, and then we'll get onto my opinions about uh, the pandemic and then my strategies, etc. Same as, same as last week. So pandemic. Pandemic is a cooperative board game designed by Matt Leacock and first published by Z-Man Games in the United States in 2008, right? So Pandemic is based on a premise that four diseases have broken out into the world, each threatening to wipe out a region. The game accommodates to two to four players, each playing one of uh, my game says five. So one of the five uh, players, but if you look online, it's going to say seven. Right, I'm not sure why, but that's that. Uh, through the combined efforts of all the players, you want to cure the diseases, but if you can, exterminate them or eradicate them. Uh, you want to do that before the game ends because there's a bunch of game ways, same as in the game last week, Forbidden Island. There's a bunch of ways for your game to end, but really only one way to win, and that is to cure. Uh, the diseases. As I look in my rule book, uh, there are five characters. You got the dispatcher, the generalist, the medic, the scientist, and the researcher. Each uh, character has different abilities, same as last week, and it really depends on how you want to play the game about what characters you use. The setup time for the game is roughly about 10 minutes because you have to you have to open up the board and the board's pretty big because it's supposed to be uh, Earth. Uh, so all you flat Earthers out there, it's not what it looks like. Um, so 10 minutes, shuffle the cards, deal the cards out, whatever, right? Playing time is about 45 minutes usually. I can guarantee you, you will have some times where all of a sudden you're done in 10 minutes because the way you shuffle the cards and laid out the diseases, you pretty much are already doomed from the start. So roughly 45 minutes is the, the estimated time. It can definitely go off a lot longer, especially if you're playing it wrong. From the game as well, it's a little bit timid, intimidating. Yeah, it's about 
it's intimidating to play because it's hard to explain. The rule book doesn't really do you right. And, but once you actually start playing, you start understanding how it works, the more fun the game is, right? The more games you play like this, the easier it will become to, to know how to play these types of games. So there are four diseases. You got the yellow disease, you got the red disease, blue disease, and black disease. They're all located around the world. Uh, they have a lot of geographical places, which is pretty impressive. Um, and the cards as well have little statistics on them, which I'm not 100% sure how accurate the statistics are. Words, they're hard to say. But it's still pretty fun to see something about it. I'm going to quickly go into my strategy, but I'm only going to dive into four characters that I use or my group uses when we play it. Uh, that's just because there's five and um, it's my strategy. I want to tell you what I like. So we usually, when we play, we have the dispatcher. It's the same, uh, same as uh, Forbidden Island. The dispatcher with permission moves your pawn anywhere you want. And also he can make, he can act, act as your pawn as if it is his own. So he can, uh, from what I understand, is he can cure diseases on a place, treat a, uh, treat a disease, and I believe he can actually build uh, research stations. The rules doesn't say you can't because the rule says you can treat any pawn as your own if you get permission. So that's one reason why it's pretty cool. Uh, then you got the medic. The medic is probably the most important character in this game. Why? Because when you have a cure on the game and you have your character on a city that is uh, relative, relative to the cure, you can just take off all the cure uh, tiles, which is very helpful because you don't have to use an action at all. Whereas anybody else actually has to use an action and take off the cure. And if there is no disease, then then yes, or no disease, if there's no cure, then yes, you have to use an action to take off um, the disease, but you still get to take off all of the cubes of the same color instead of just one, like everybody else. The medic also prevents uh, disease cubes and outbreaks when he's on that uh, location, as long as it's cured, as long as you have that cure. Another one character we use is the scientist. The scientist is pretty handy. Um, doesn't do much except for you need only four city cards to cure a disease or discover a cure, whereas everybody else needs five. So that's pretty handy. Uh, we usually use that character as our disease curer and everybody else is the one trying to find the cures. We're trying to find the cards and maintaining the board, make sure we don't lose. We also use the researcher. And when I say we, I mean me and whoever I play with. We use a researcher because uh, you can hand any card to another player in the same city as you. Whereas anybody else, like the generalist and a medic, you need to be together on the same city that the card you want to give. So that can... That can 
ruin some of your strategies if you don't have the researcher with you. Um, really, other than that, I look at the Legacy Edition. The Legacy Edition of the game has a bunch of things. And it can ruin the gameplay um, if you don't know how to use it right. It also, they the company gives you pieces that can make it so you can only play the Legacy Edition once. Which kind of sucks because if you need to pause your game and you forget about it sometime. And then all of a sudden you go back to playing and you're like, oh yeah, I just want to start from the beginning. Or you have guests over and you don't want to ruin your um, pre-existing Legacy campaign. You want to just want to show them the regular game. It kind of ruins it because you got to peel it off from the board and constantly peeling and placing things from the book, the board, ripping up a character sheet. Not very good for business. Sure, on their part, they can get people to buy another $60 game, $40 game. But they really need to think of a design that can make it so people can buy stuff for cheaper. So maybe $10, buy an extra set of... Uh, stickers or $10 for another actual just replica board not the full game but uh, the replica that makes it maybe a lot easier for people to be willing to play the legacy edition and extra cards as well because I don't want to rip up having my character card and then not be able to use that character again because I ripped up the card so with that I really think some changes need to be made but I'm not the developers or designers, so they don't need to listen to me. Really, overall, if you're looking into games that aren't just the basic Monopoly, whatever, the games I bring to you while talking in this podcast, these are the games I think are better or just different and fun without having the basic Monopoly game. I do have Monopoly, I could talk about that, but I don't think I could talk about Monopoly for long, just because everybody knows how to play and there's so many house rules in Monopoly. And it's been, so it's not really that interesting. If you want me to, sure we can, but right now I'm not looking at doing Monopoly. I might do Catan just because there's different versions of Catan. There's a gallery edition and whatever. But overall, I give uh pandemic i want to get start like my own little score i give pandemic by z-man games an 8 out of 10 it's there's lots to do it's difficult but not too too difficult you can also change the difficulty level depending how many epidemic cards you put in your your pile so that that's pretty fun too so yeah an 8 out of 10 in my opinion is what this game deserves on the podcast scale for how fun the game is and if it's worth your buy. So definitely check it out at your local game shop or maybe online at Amazon because it's definitely going to be on Amazon. Everything is. Uh, Next, we are going to head towards your games. The The main topic of tonight, video games. So let's get on that. Time to talk about video games. So today we're going to talk about call of duty and the franchise including the games and anything really related to call of duty first we'll probably start off with the the history of the franchise um who's involved with it 
Um, then maybe we'll go on to talk about my, well, we will talk about my opinions uh, and maybe some of my experience and my favorite Call of Duty. After that, we'll go on towards talking about uh, Major League Gaming, the old versus the new, and also maybe some things about Warzone. So let's get let's get started. So Call of Duty, uh, it it's a video game, right? Everybody knows it's a video game, and it's a first-person shooter. If you don't know this, well. Welcome to my podcast where I tell you what a game is and give you information about it. Uh, so it came out in 2003 and it first focused on World War II games. Um, however, over the times of growing games and maybe the competition with Battlefield, uh, they, they modernized it. They went from World War II through uh, the Cold War to modern warfare and somehow went and thought that going to the future was a good idea because it wanted to be like Halo or Destiny or any other company. Uh, but yeah, so that's where, it, uh, that's where it's going and how it went. Uh, the, the publishers of Call of Duty started off and it's still to this day is Activision. Uh, but the first games were de- uh, developed by Infinity Ward. Uh, in 2005, uh, another developer came into the picture named Treyarch, and they started with Call of Duty 3, and then worked towards changing Call of Duty every couple games by adding zombies. Uh, and then after that, uh, in 2011, a small company named Sledgehammer Games decided to get on board with it too and helped make some games, but was the lead designer of uh, Advanced Warfare, where we don't really like that game. Well, me as in myself, I don't really like that game, and I can guarantee a lot of people don't like some of the, some of the games that have come out with Call of Duty. So first, let's start about start talking about Infinity Ward. Okay. Um, Infinity Ward has done, I'm pretty sure, mainly only uh, Call of Duty games. Yeah, so they've only done Call of Duty games. Um, they started off with 1 and 2. They skipped number 3 because that's when Treyarch came in. And then they worked back on to Call of Duty 4 and Modern Warfare. Modern Warfare 2. Um, and they, with Sledgehammer Games, they did Modern Warfare 3 as well. Uh, they soloed it with Call of Duty Ghost, which sometimes Infinity Ward shouldn't try some games, and Ghost Infinite Warfare were definitely those two games they shouldn't have tried. After those games, they, they pick it back up, and we get the new Modern Warfare with Warzone. Okay, so Treyarch. I was always iffy with them. Um... I actually, I didn't realize that before Call of Duty, they actually had a lot more other games out there, such as like NHL 2K2 on Dreamcast. Um, they had Spider-Man on GameCube, etc. right? But they started off Call of Duty, uh, looks like in 2005, they helped with an expansion or a DLC called the Big Red One for Call of Duty 2. But they mainly focused uh, and got big into Call of Duty when Call of Duty 3 came around and then they changed Call of Duty 
with World at War. It, it was interesting. Uh, they brought it back to um, a spinoff or not really a spinoff, but they they made pretty much World War Two again with the with the Nazis, but they couldn't show the Nazi symbols for reasons. Uh, but yeah, they made it so that you also were fighting um, Nazi zombies per se. They were probably the main thing that changed the way Call of Duty uh, developed games is how graphic they made it, where you would use a rocket launcher and you can actually blow off your limb or and multiplayer and stuff like that. So it made it really, really graphic compared to the other Call of Duties, which in my opinion, I like graphic video games. So that's really cool to see your arm get hit and go flying off your body. Um, but yeah, so after that, with zombies, uh, they started making Black Ops games. So pretty much every other year, whenever there wasn't a Modern Warfare or a game made by Infinity Ward, Treyarch would jump in and be like, hey, now we're making a Black Ops, Black Ops 2, Black Ops 3 and 4, etc. I'm not a big fan of the Black Ops series past number 2. 3 and 4, I felt they tried to go too futuristic. And wall running, real life soldiers won't be wall running. Maybe not for a long time, too. We have no exoskeleton suits, right? So now we're done with Treyarch. This, like, both these companies are still working for Activision. And then we got the brand new, well, brand new because it's 2011. It's the newest main of the three uh, developers. There are a lot of small, small developers probably to help games go for mobile, etc. But there's too many small companies to talk about, so we're not going to. Uh, so we'll talk back with Sledgehammer. They are a very small company, but also a big company, right? So uh, they have around 200 plus people, which is pretty big for a company that started in 2011 and only has uh, four games under their belt. But these four games are Call of Duty games, right? So they've helped with, uh, what I said before, with Modern Warfare 3. They've helped with um, uh, the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare, but they also they also made Advanced Warfare and Call of Duty World War Two. And I'm I've not played the Call of Duty World War Two uh, World War Two game yet, but I played Advanced Warfare and it was a slap in the face to Activision and any Call of Duty title. Okay, so I know some of you may not agree with me on the way I treat some of these studios, but just remember, it's my opinion. Um, if you want, feel free to go in the comments, you know, on like Facebook or whatever, and join the conversation and tell me how, what you think about uh, about Call of Duty and the three main developers. You can talk about the small ones. That's fine. I don't really know anything about the small studios, so <laughs> that's fine. But now, instead of uh, talking about the franchise, let's move on. Um, let's talk about MLG. Uh, just because we're we're going to go into more detail with the because MLG is still a part of the franchise, so the history part is over. Now we go into the franchise version. So MLG is uh, Call of Duty's version of esports. Uh, it's been around quite a long time, whereas it's been it was founded in two thousand and two. Uh, it's pretty impressive because it's actually before. Uh, Call of Duty was around. So I wonder what kind of games it started. 
started with first, but that's not that's that's a topic for a different time. Where today we're talking about Call of Duty's influence on MLG. MLG to those who don't remember acronyms, it is Major League Gaming. So before esports was popular, MLG pretty much was the ruler of of uh, esports. But now there's so many organizations. Um, yeah, so Call of Duty back in the day, you want to play competitive uh, against people who weren't cheating all the time, and also you you wouldn't see like somebody max max prestige in Call of Duty Modern Warfare Two, uh, and you want and you actually wanted a challenge against hackers. This would be the the game you'd want the the game mode you'd want to play. It's competitive. You could potentially earn money, um, but you also could play for free. And in playing for for free, uh, you could get onto an, an esports team. It was a lot easier back in the day to just make a team and play and um, pretend you're good. Where now I've seen on MLG, it's a lot harder. Um, personally, I used to be really good at Modern Warfare 2. I've taken a long time off from playing Call of Duty, and now I'm back at playing it again, so I'm really rusty. And going from seeing myself back in Modern Warfare uh, 2 with MLG to Modern Warfare and the MLG now, I I suck. Like I, I've I've taken a huge drop. But so MLG before, you would have to sign up on game battles, uh, and then you would you'd make a team, whatever, and you have to make make sure you have the right rules for the game uh, tournament you're using. And it, it's pretty much, it relied on you to make the lobby, make sure you made it right so that you didn't get reported for making a wrong one or whatever. And people could easily cheat you out saying, hey, you, you were hacking, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And then if you didn't make it in time to submit your results, they could have submitted the results already. And they said that you, they won and you lost and is very unreliable and a lot of ways to uh, cheat the other person out of a victory or a loss. But now, seeing the way it's come, very impressive. Okay. Um, so I I went on it recently and I've been playing a little bit of competitive. I'm so as I said before, I'm not good, but it's a lot simpler to deal with game battles. So you'd go on the website, you'd make your account, you make your team, you find either a ladder or, or a tournament, depending on what you, if you want to pay or not, right? Tournaments, you need to pay because you can make money from playing. Ladders, there's a lot of free ladders, you don't need to pay. Um, yeah, so you can, you go on there and it's really simple. You find a, a, somebody fighting. So I, I went to the singles ladder, Singles. Uh, I went to the singles ladder and I made my team, and all of a sudden I just pressed find a match. So I found some that was like oh, available now, and one that said available in a couple hours. I'm like, now I want to play now. So I click on that one, I press accept challenge, and all of a sudden I go on my Xbox because when I'm doing the game battles on my phone, I go into my Xbox and I go into a lobby, and there's the option right there uh, trials, practice match, game battles. I didn't know about that before, so I actually lost the match because I didn't know about it until a guy told me. 
hey, where were you, whatever. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I looked up, and there it was. It was very simple. You accept the match on your device or on your website, and you go onto that lobby. You press X to refresh it, and there's your tournament. There's your there's your, your competition right there. The mode's already set in stone, so you can't change it. And it, it's very simple. Um, I would like to do this more often. I need to find myself a team. But yeah, it's if you want to get into competitive and try it yourself, I recommend trying. It's super simple. I've said that a couple times now. Um, and speaking about competitive, let's talk about the Overwatch and Call of Duty League. Um, I've never realized Call of Duty would be in, Call of Duty would have a paid league, and it makes sense now seeing that it's owned by Activision Blizzard, and Blizzard uh, they started the league like paid leagues before anybody else um where you have to actually have an official team and you have to pay a a lump sum of money to join the official league so overwatch there's yeah there's a bunch of leagues on there and people paid crap ton of money Uh, like owners of vancouver canucks own a team and whatever so call of duty has the same thing because it's owned by activision blizzard and activision in general they have the call of duty league and in that, there's 12 teams, and you have to be really good to get picked up of a team. I'm not sure how you can do that. Maybe from through streaming, YouTube videos, or maybe just game battles if you're number one for a while. Um, but to join that league, you have to have, your team needs to make 25 million dollars and put that down. I'm like, damn, 12 teams, and each team had to pay 25 million dollars to join. That's crazy. And it sucks that there's only one Canadian team. Come on, Toronto Ultra. You're not number one. We need more Canadian teams. So, yeah, ending with uh, Toronto Ultra there. There's nothing more really to say about competitive gaming, except for it's pretty interesting. Um, eventually, I want to try it, but... Or at least not try it, because I already have trying it. But I want to get more into it. So, if you're looking for uh, a player, hit me up. Uh, so, now let's talk about my experience, my history with uh, Call of Duty. Um, it might get a little deep, not really, uh, but I started playing Call of Duty back in 2006 uh, when uh, I got the Nintendo Wii and Call of Duty 3, I believe, just came out. Uh, it was really weird playing Call of Duty on a Wii, uh, especially because I just went from owning an Xbox original to now owning a uh, a Wii, um, and I didn't have the the attachment. So the Wii came with an attachment where you can actually have it shaped like a gun. So when you're playing Call of Duty or any shooter game on the Wii, it's a lot easier to shoot. Um, but I didn't, so I used the joystick and the nunchuck, which was very difficult, uh, especially when you've never played the Wii before uh, and you're supposed to be playing the shooter. But and also. In 2006, I was definitely not the age of the allowed to purchase Call of Duty. I was definitely way younger, and somehow I suckered my parents into getting me Call of Duty, saying maybe, "Oh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna affect me. Video games don't cause violence," and I agree, it doesn't. Which brings me on to my next point. So I used Call of Duty as a scapegoat um, when I got angry. Uh, through some personal history 
I would actually just go into Modern Warfare or Modern Warfare 2 and I would just sit there in front of the TV for hours. I, I mean hours uh, from after school, just playing Call of Duty, snapping at my family for telling me to pause my game to come get some dinner. I'm like, no, you can't pause it all in my game. They didn't understand that. Whatever that, but yeah. So I would, I used it as my scapegoat. I didn't have a good history, but yeah, it it was fun. Um, I got out a lot, a lot, a lot of anger um, through my video games of Call of Duty, just because you're in a game, you have a gun, and you just shoot and yell at people through the mic. You get to you get to be that kid that yells at people through the mic. Um, something about your mom and all that jazz but there's as long as you knew the difference between shooting in a video game to shooting in real life there's no problem about taking out your anger in a video game it helped me a lot uh but let's continue so my favorite video game for call of duty would be modern warfare 2 the story was amazing it it transitioned nicely from uh, Modern Warfare to Modern Warfare 2. Like those two games had a really good transition um, going from playing in Favela or uh, I'm blanking on some of the Call of Duty Modern Warfare maps. Uh, but going from like those, that mission to going to uh, Modern Warfare 2 and I climbing yourself up on this ice wall with these ice picks and slipping if you mess up your uh, joysticks or going down, escaping from a house with these snowmobiles and you're going down, because this is the first time that I remember Call of Duty actually using a good mechanic for uh, vehicles. Just because Call of Duty was more so always focused on just the the urban warfare aspect of it. They were never focused on video uh, vehicles like Battlefield was. But yeah, it's really cool seeing how they integrated Intricate, yeah, integrated, whatever. Um, the the vehicles with the gameplay, where you could. I remember the snowmobile map. It really or mission. It really frustrated me because I died so many times. Some reason the enemy kept catching up with me and shooting me. But yeah, you'd you'd be on a snowmobile and you'd have to shoot the enemies from chasing you. And it's really really well done. Um, there's also some missions we probably shouldn't have played as kids that. When the new Modern Warfare was teased coming out, I was really excited for this mission to get in the game. But when I actually played Modern Warfare and I realized it's, I can't remember before, after Modern, Modern Warfare 2, it makes sense why this mission, um, No Russian, is not in the game. If you don't know what No Russian is, go on YouTube, you'll, you'll see it. It was a pretty brutal, uh, mission to play as a teenager that's for sure one another cool thing with modern warfare 2 is they they teased a, a dynamic environment it, it wasn't really dynamic because coming from battlefield that's dynamic but seeing the way they integrated it and made it so that you could uh let these logs roll down on the vehicles and and the enemies that are chasing you. It really made it, the game more fun. And that's probably one reason why Modern Warfare 2 is my favorite is because it was the first time Call of Duty has tried something new 
Um, and then World of War, well, actually, no, wasn't Try Something New because World of War had um, zombies, but tried something new as in having actual playable vehicles, dynamic, quote unquote, environment, whatever, right? So it's pretty interesting. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the new Modern Warfare. Um, from customization, the, customization is a huge thing in new video games nowadays. You'll see Borderlands, uh, League of Legends, Fortnite, whatever. Customization of your, your character, your gun, it is huge. People don't care about paying for something that makes you better. People want to pay for something that uh, just looks cool. But also people don't want to pay for it, right? Uh, some games do it really well where you unlock a lot of things without having to pay for the battle pass. But Call of Duty, not so much. Um, it would be cool though if Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, or the Warzone, or whatever, gave you easier ways to unlock new character skins without having to pay for the battle pass or the package in the store because not everybody can afford it. And it's one thing that if you want your game to last longer too, new content for people who can't afford to pay for content. That That is what a lot of people need and that will help your game last longer. Uh, but with that, it's crazy to see from how customization went from Modern Warfare to Modern Warfare, from only be able to make new attachments to having uh, the ability to put stickers and charms and, on your gun. It's pretty interesting, even though in real life, if you put a sticker or a, a charm on your gun, you're going to get a charge from the military. That's that's 100%. Uh, but it's still pretty pretty cool. Um, especially being able to do more customizations with your your equipment, like being able to take the butt off of your your, your C7 or your M4, um, and putting a tri uh, a bipod on it. It doesn't make any sense that you do that, but it's still pretty cool with the because of how much you can do with the game. Uh, now back to the war zone. I've I I. Never liked Battle Royales before uh, Warzone, really. I tried Apex. Apex got me more understanding of Battle Royales, but I hated uh, PUBG. I hated uh, Fortnite, but I didn't really have a reason why I hated it. Uh, so I eventually tried uh, Apex Legends, gave it a go. I liked it. Went away for a while, tried uh, Fortnite. Well, it wasn't too bad, but then I came back and I tried Warzone only because I had coworkers and my brother-in-law keep nagging me that I needed to try it. So eventually I caved in and just recently I started playing it again. And my gosh, it is fun. Uh, the, the way you, you die and come back into the game is very different than most games. And that's actually where I do better is where I die. So when you die, you go into the gulag it's one versus one. Whoever dies has to get bought back into the game. If you don't die, you kill the other guy, you respawn into the game. It's pretty awesome. But it sucks when you die and your team has to pay, try and get money to pay for you to come back, especially when you're late in the game and there's no more damn guns anywhere and no more body shields or anything. And then it's just like, why did I come back into the game? 
but it's still pretty fun. Um, there's also other modes with Warzone, like Plunder. Uh, I haven't tried the new Battle Royale 200 quads yet, just because I don't have a team of four. But the new the, the game modes that Call of Duty offers with Warzone, it's awesome. Uh, I haven't really done the vehicles. I've done it once just so I can get a challenge completed, but I don't find the reason to have a vehicle in, a, in this Battle Royale except for getting from point A to point B fast. So I guess there is some of the reason, but the Call of Duty has always been to me a game that doesn't need vehicles just because I I think of vehicle-based war games with Battlefield and urban warfare games with Call of Duty. So that's one flaw I think of, but that's just me. Uh, yeah, so... If you like today's uh, video game talk, talk, let me know in uh, if there's a way to do a review on your podcast platform of choice or join me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, I'll leave the links in the description below. But join me there and uh, let me know how, how you think I did. Let me know what you think. Um, about Call of Duty or anything else I have talked today, talked about today, whether it be a tabletop game or news, let me know. And I can't wait till next week so you can have another podcast to listen to. With that, have a good one.